0: King David was a very good man who made a couple monumentally bad decisions. He was the king of God's people. He was considered a man after God's own heart, but he was overwhelmed by lust and desire and committed adultery and murder. And those sins, as were promised, wreaked havoc on his life and tore his house apart. And so now King David, who was used to residing in a palace, used to residing in a kingdom, was on the run. He was chased out of his own place. His armies, in part, had turned against him. And now he was running for his life. But to make matters worse, he wasn't just running for his life from an enemy, he was running for his life from his family. His own son, Absalom, had raised up an army and chased David out in an attempt to take over the throne. And so David is in the midst of a battle. He's in the midst of war, and he's surrounded by enemies on all different sides. And it was in the midst of that time, in that setting, when he was running for his life, that David wrote these words in what we now call Psalm 3. He said, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. And then he says this I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David said, I lay down and I slept and then I woke again because the Lord sustained me. And that's a picture of what it looks like to have peace in God. Because David was in the midst of an unbelievably difficult circumstance. And by the way, before we feel too sorry for him, one that he caused by his own sin and his own arrogance and his own pride. But even in the midst of being surrounded by enemies, even in the midst of his life being in danger, he was able to lay his head down and go to sleep and be completely vulnerable and at peace because he believed that it was God who sustained him. What David talks about there is unexplainable, seemingly irrational kind of peace, but it's the kind of peace that comes from God. Tim Keller, again from his book Galatians for You, defines peace as this. He says, peace is the confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. The opposite of peace is anxiety and worry, and its counterfeit is indifference, apathy, not caring about anything. As we've looked through Galatians 5 and all the places that it's taken us, as we've seen what it means to live in the Spirit and to follow in the freedom that Christ has given us, we've seen that these things that Paul calls the work of the flesh are born out of self-reliance, out of a desire to do something on our own that we believe is not happening in the right timing or that we don't really trust God to do. And self-reliance in and of itself is born out of anxiety and out of unrest that comes from within us. Because when things don't happen the way that we want and the timing that we want, or if they don't happen at all, when they think, we think that they should, we start to get uneasy. We start to get anxious. We start to worry. And out of those things is born our desire to go out and to do it on our own. But peace sets us free. But not only does peace set us free, peace is a reminder of the freedom that Christ has given us. And so this morning as we continue to look at the freedom that we have in Christ and these fruit of the Spirit that put that freedom on display and at the same time remind us that we're free, we're going to look at peace. And we're going to do that from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. But before I read that, I want to read Galatians 5, and 24, and then I'll jump to Philippians so we can get kind of the full picture here from Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we thank you that peace isn't something that comes from us because we are so conditioned to worry, to be anxious, to do things on our own. But thank you that you give us peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. As we continue talking about what it means to be free in Christ, remind us that we have the freedom to have peace in all circumstances. And God, I pray that you show us, at least to the, to the little bit that we can grasp what that means, show us what that means in each and every one of our lives. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I just noticed that we didn't change the the screen up there from last week. And so if you're taking notes and you'd like a sermon title, the title of the sermon is simply Peace Beyond Understanding. And we're going to look at about six different characteristics quickly of peace and how it is born in our lives and how that puts our freedom on display. And the first thing is that joy leads to peace. Joy leads to peace. As we've talked over the past couple weeks, We've seen that language matters to Paul, that the words that Paul uses, he writes, are very important. And not only that, but the order that Paul writes in is a really important thing for us to take notice of. And so last week, we looked at joy and saw that joy is born out of love. And so Peter said that. Peter said that we, we don't see him now, but we love him. We don't know him now, but we believe in him, and that that results in this joy. And so our joy in Christ is born out of a love for Christ, and so we first have to love him for who he is and have that kind of Christ-like affection for Jesus, to love him with the love that he's given us, and then that love results in joy. But when it comes to peace, peace is something that we want to get out of place. So when it comes to joy, we like our joy to have something that leads up to it. We say, God, I'm dealing with these hard circumstances, I'm going through something difficult. My life isn't the way that it should be. I'm sick or somebody near me is hurting or in pain or my finances aren't what they're supposed to be. I'm not very comfortable. I'm in a lot of pain. And so God, if you could just deliver me from all of this stuff, if you could give me peace, then in the midst of that peace, I could find joy. But that's not the order that Paul lays this out. Paul says that the fruit of the spirit is love, then joy, and then peace. And he reiterates that thought process here in Philippians chapter four, whereas he's talking about peace to this church that's in the middle of persecution and hardship, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Paul says that before we find peace, we're supposed to rejoice. That step one in this process to finding peace is to find joy that comes in Christ that's born out of a deep and a passionate love for Jesus. And then after we rejoice, after we find that joy, and after we do that in all circumstances, then Paul says, rejoice again. Rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, and then rejoice again, and then that will lead us down the road to peace. See, our joy doesn't come from what God gives us. We saw that last week, but it comes from who God is. And so before we could ever find peace, before we could ever seek after this peace of God, we first have to find joy. And if we can't rejoice in the Lord always, if we can't rejoice in God in all circumstances and then rejoice again, then we're never going to be able to trust him enough to find peace. And so without love, we can't have joy. And then without joy, we can't have peace. And so before you search for peace, even though that can sometimes be the thing that drives us the most because these restless circumstances and trials can really dominate our lives. But before you search for that peace, rejoice. And as you rejoice, rejoice always, no matter what the circumstances are, and then rejoice again because you always have the ability to rejoice in God because as we sang earlier, that he remains the same. That he never changes, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our trials, that God is constant and so our joy in him can always be present. And so without preaching the sermon from last week again, we have to have joy before we can have Peace, And if you want to know what that joy looks like, then you can go to the website and hear last week's sermon as we talk about having the kind of joy that supersedes even the harshest of circumstances and what that looks like in our lives. So joy leads to peace. Then we see that peace is found in the nearness of God. Peace is found in the nearness of God. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does he mean here when Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone? Does this mean we just have to be really level-headed people, that we need to make sure that everyone knows that we have common sense and that we make decisions well? Not really. I like the way that two study Bibles define this, this phrase, the Reformation Study Bible and the English Standard Version Study Bible. The Reformation Study Bible says that the Greek word here denotes the generous spirit that rises above offenses, a forbearing spirit of which Jesus provides the supreme example. I think this is important here. Such a person does not insist on his rights. Only such persons learn the secret of joy. And the ESV study says that reasonableness is crucial for maintaining community because it is the disposition that seeks what is best for everyone And not just one's self. You see, this reasonableness that Paul tells us to put on display for everyone isn't just the ability to have good common sense. What he's referring to here is the ability to be willing to lay down your rights and your pride for the sake of someone else. What Paul is calling us to is a lifestyle of not only getting what you need, but being so at peace in whatever circumstance that you find yourself in that you're willing to give up your rights for the good of others. And that sounds a lot like what he was talking about when we looked at the definition of freedom. Because remember, freedom is knowing that we have this freedom that Christ has given us, that it is precious, that it's incredible, that it cost Jesus so much to bring it to us, but then to be willing to take that freedom and lay it down for the good of other people, saying that I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. To be able to love your neighbor as you love yourself or count others more significant. That's what freedom looks like. And now Paul is telling us that that is a crucial part of what it means to have peace. But it seems like a really difficult thing to do. Because to be able to lay down my pride, to lay down my rights, but especially to lay down the things that are important to me, and sometimes the things that are necessary for me to live in order to take care of someone else, is a really hard thing to do. So how do we do that? Paul says we do it with the knowledge that the Lord is at hand. There's not even, there's a period there, but it's almost like there's not a breath when he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, so do not be anxious about anything, and on and on and on. When Paul talks about the Lord being at hand here, it's a reminder of what we celebrate in Advent that we're waiting and we're expecting Christ to return, and there's a twofold nature to the return of Christ. On one hand, we talk about the love, the joy, the hope, and the peace that Jesus comes to bring and perfect. We remember that Christ is coming to reconcile all things, to make everything right, and to restore all of the brokenness in our world. And so restoration is an crucial part of that. But this reminder of God being at hand also reminds us that he comes again to bring justice. You see, the Advent message causes us to have a peace because we know that Jesus is coming to not only deliver us from the things that keep us up at night. He's not only coming to deliver us from the things that break our hearts. He's not only coming to deliver us from the evil in the world, but he's coming to bring justice against those things. And because we have this promise, because we have this hope that Jesus is coming to bring that justice, we don't have to accomplish it in our own lives. Romans 12, verses 14 through 21 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. And as Paul lays that out, that's a picture of what peace in Christ really looks like. And it's a hard thing to do because we're wired for justice. And we're called to go out into the world and find the places where injustices are happening and stand against those for the sake of Christ, except when it comes to us. Paul says, don't worry about taking vengeance for yourself because vengeance belongs to God. And so you don't have to worry about on insisting what's yours and insisting on the rights that you think that that you've earned or that you somehow deserve. But instead, Paul says, in place of seeking vengeance, trust God for that because he'll come and he'll make all things right and all things new and bring justice to all the things that break your heart. So instead, what you do in the meantime is if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them because that's what it looks like to have peace in God that we trust God so deeply to not only restore the brokenness in our lives but to take care of the evil in the world once and for all that it frees us up because we have that freedom to love and to care for people who don't deserve it and to lay down our rights for the good of others. It's this peace that sets us free to not only love our neighbors and the people that are close to us, but it sets us free to love our enemies because we trust that the Lord is at hand. And So we should let our reasonableness be shown to all that are around us. So joy leads to peace. Peace is found in the nearness of God. And then peace is developed through practice. Peace is developed through practice. When somebody's going through a really difficult time, especially if it's a really difficult time, one of the most meaningless things that I think we can say to someone is don't worry, right? You know how it feels. You're going through something and it feels like your life is falling apart and some very well-intentioned person walks up to you and says, oh honey, don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden all we can think about is why we should be worrying about it, right? Because if they're saying don't worry about it, then that means there's a problem there. And so there must be something that we have to figure out. And then we start thinking the more we think, the more we worry. And it becomes a really consuming kind of thing. Telling somebody not to worry is about as useful as telling somebody not to think about a pink elephant. Because if you've done that exercise in elementary school, when somebody says, don't think about a pink elephant, then you feel weird because you're thinking about a pink elephant. And then you're thinking, why am I thinking about a pink elephant? Well, it's because they said that. But now I'm thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about a pink elephant. And you're down this pink elephant hole that you never expected to find yourself in. That's what happens when somebody says, don't worry. And now when Paul is saying, don't be anxious, we're thinking, okay, buddy. (laughs) Sure. And he's writing to a church that's in the midst of persecution. And he says, don't be anxious anxious about anything. Anxiety and worry are a natural part of our lives. Now, sometimes these go beyond just day-to-day anxieties and worries, and sometimes it can become clinical kind of anxiety. And if that's the case, thank God that we have professionals, medical professionals that can help with that. And so if you deal or struggle with that kind of deep clinical anxiety, then there's great resources, especially here in Loganville. We have the ministry village just down the road with trained and licensed counselors who are educated in and helping people overcome that kind of deep level anxiety. But even if you don't get to that point, all of us deal with anxiety and worry in our lives. There are things that make us anxious. And what tends to happen is that anxiety and that worry makes us prisoners to our circumstance. Because you know how it goes. Something happens that hurts, or something happens that's stressful, or something happens that you can't figure out. And all of a sudden, that's all you can think about. And sometimes it keeps us up at night. Sometimes it keeps us from being able to eat, and we become a slave to that circumstance. And peace can really be hard to find. And the problem with peace, as we've already seen, is peace isn't a work that we do. Peace isn't something that we can just naturally whip up in the kitchen and then implement in our lives, but peace is fruit. And as fruit, peace is something that has to be planted inside of us by Christ, and then it has to grow. And it has to be tended to. It can be really difficult when we realize that Christianity isn't just this call to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus and you'll never have to worry again. And we know that that's not the case because if it was, there wouldn't be so much content in the New Testament about not worrying if it was that you just believe in Jesus and then all of a sudden you never have to worry again, why would Jesus say, don't worry about your life? Why would Paul say, don't be anxious about anything? Why would James tell us to be patient and to find peace in all these circumstances? Because they know that we're going to deal with this anxiety and this worry because life can be incredibly difficult. But Paul tells us what to do to combat that worry and that anxiety. He says, The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't have to tell you that worrying isn't a passive thing. We don't just sit back and worrying kind of happens in the back of our minds, but worrying is an active thing that takes place. It takes over our minds. We think about it constantly, but we even have physical manifestations of our worrying. We pace back and forth, we wring our hands, we bite our nails, we bite our lips. There's a physical reaction to worrying because worrying is an active part of our lives. And so if worrying and anxiety is an active part of who we are, then we should combat that with action as well. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how often in our lives is prayer a last resort? How often in our lives is the last thing that we think about doing, praying, because we want to figure out all of the other ways that we can possibly solve our problems. And then when we exhaust all of our efforts, then we finally come to God and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I haven't figured out a solution to it. So I guess I need you to try and fix it and call in God like he's some sort of backup. Paul says here that we should take everything to God. It says, don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that means everything, in the good things and the bad things, in the hard times and in the easy times. Our first response to anything that takes place in our life should be to go to God in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving and make our requests be made known to God. We should take everything to the God who saves us and the God who loves us, and we should have the confidence that as we go to God, that even if we don't get the result we want, we will always find peace. There's an old song that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And the intention of that song is not that if we go to God in prayer, then we're not going to have that pain, but we'll experience that pain in a different way, in a more lonely way, because we don't come to the God who loves us and cares for us and offers that compassion and that peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we need to put this into practice, this prayer and this supplication and this thanksgiving in all circumstances so that we will always be surrounded by the peace of God and more importantly, we'll always be aware of the peace of God. And so this peace is developed and produced through practice. We also see here that Christian peace is different. Christian peace is different. We've talked about with each of these fruit of the spirit that these are words that we use fairly commonly, but most of the time we use them in a different manner than Paul intends. So for love, we talk about anything that we have affection for. With joy, we can talk about anything that makes us happy when we've already seen that that's not what those fruit of the Spirit really look like. And in the same thing with peace, we often just think of peace as the opposite of violence. Peace is the opposite of war. And so we think about peace like an army finally laying down their weapons because somebody has won, and they sign a peace treaty, and it causes an end to the violence, and it causes an end to the battle, but it doesn't necessarily cause an end to the source of the problem. You can see that between World War I and World War II. There was peace at the end of World War I, but the deeper message wasn't resolved. And that's why just a few decades later, you have another world war featuring a lot of the same personalities and a lot of the same mentalities. But when Paul talks about peace here, he's talking very specifically about the peace of God, and that peace of God is different. You see, if this is the peace that comes from God, it's going to contain in itself all of the characteristics and the beauty of God. And so because peace comes from God, it's perfect because God is perfect. Because peace was brought through Jesus and his sacrifice was supreme and final, then the peace that Jesus brings is supreme and final. Because peace is brought by the Holy Spirit who is a counselor and a comforter, this peace not only ceases our violence, but it also quiets our fears and it nurses our wounds. And because of that, Paul says that it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that goes deeper than we could possibly grasp. It's something that doesn't make sense. It's something that oftentimes is irrational, like David having the ability to lay down and go to sleep in the midst of his enemies. That's an unbelievable, unthinkable kind of peace. But it's the kind of peace that comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit are all things that are beyond our control. They're all things that are beyond our understanding. And we see just these descriptive words that are so beautiful and so incredible as we go from fruit to fruit because they're things that come directly from God and are unnatural and unusual, but they're beautiful and awesome. It's a love that's patient and kind. A love that endures all things. A love that is eternal. It's a joy that is inexpressible and it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the life of a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit, when we live them out, mark our lives and they define our lives because they're different. Because they change the core of who we are. And when this thing is expressed, this Christian peace is like nothing else the world has ever seen. Because it's not just putting down our violence. It's not just being nicer people. But it's the fact that we can put down our violence on the outside and on the inside. That he calms our hearts and he quiets our minds and lets us have a peace that is total, that is perfect, and that is beyond our understanding. That Christian peace is different. We also see that peace is our shield. Peace is our shield. Our hearts and our minds are very vulnerable places. Usually, over-feeling and overthinking are incredible conductors for anxiety. Because as we've already seen, we just think about things and we dwell on things over and over and over. But also, what tends to happen is we internalize those and they start to affect not only our minds, but our hearts. And we start to take things personally. And when we take things personally, it cuts us down really deep. But this peace that comes from God that's born out of prayer and supplication, it has the power to not only again lay down our swords, but to calm our hearts and to quiet our minds. It's the kind of peace that lets us be still and know that he is God. One of the most amazing things that we see in scripture is that God knows us. And that seems like a really obvious thing to say out loud. But God knows us deeply and God knows us intimately. And one of the things that God knows with 100% certainty about each and every one of us is that we're weak. By comparison to God, to a God who is perfect and omnipotent and omniscient, that God who has no weaknesses, we are all pretty fragile and pretty weak. And our weakest places tend to be our hearts and our minds because they're so vulnerable. And it would be incredibly easy for God to look at us and see our weakness, especially in comparison to who he is, and just write us off. But he doesn't. God sees us for all of our brokenness. God sees us for all of our weakness, for all of our vulnerability. And instead of pushing us away, he brings us in closer, and he deals with us gently, and he deals with us kindly. And this peace that comes from God, Paul says here, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace from God guards our weaknesses and it gives us freedom to lie down and sleep in the presence of our enemies. The peace of God gives us the freedom to be vulnerable and open for the sake of the gospel and for the good of our neighbors. It surrounds our most vital parts of who we are and protects us in a world that is really difficult to go through. And even more than that, this isn't just a hope. This isn't just something that we believe may happen and sometimes could happen. But this is a promise from Scripture. Because Paul says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. He doesn't say it might guard your hearts and minds. He doesn't say sometimes if you need it badly enough, it will guard your hearts and minds. But Paul says that when we go to God with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and all things and make our requests known to God, that he will, through his peace, guard our hearts and our minds. You see, the beautiful thing about this peace that God gives us is that he doesn't just make us peaceful, but he brings us peace peace. Something that starts internally, something that starts from within and then manifests itself in our life to be peacemakers and to lay down our swords and to lay down our violence. But it starts from within when God guards our hearts and guards our minds and teaches us what it looks like to have peace spiritually and mentally and emotionally so that we can then have peace physically because peace is our shield. And then finally, we see here in this passage that peace of mind brings us to the God of peace. Peace of mind brings us to the God of peace. I have a really bad habit because sometimes my mind can just go a hundred miles an hour a lot faster than my mouth and I can be in conversations with somebody and we can talk about something and then my mind just goes in a hundred different directions and so somebody, because this was kind of where you start with these things, somebody could talk about Kevin Bacon. Maybe we're talking about a movie that Kevin Bacon's in, and somebody could say the name Kevin Bacon, and I will think, Kevin Bacon, Bacon. Bacon. Bacon is good, but I don't get bacon much like everybody else. So you see all these things on social media where people talk about just eating bacon with a side of bacon. I I like bacon, but I don't like bacon that much. And I don't like bacon on things. I don't like bacon on my hamburger, but I like bacon as a side of my breakfast. And so I can eat bacon and eggs together. And I like syrup on my bacon. And so that tastes really good. And I like bacon particularly from restaurants. I make really good bacon myself, but I like going to restaurants and getting bacon. So I love cup and saucer over here on the corner. Corner. And so I think about Cup and Saucer, and I think about having lunch with my friend Steve at Cup and Saucer a couple weeks ago. And then I just say out loud after we talked about Kevin Bacon, I wonder how Steve's doing. And I've just left somebody else in the dirt because about thirty seconds has gone by here since the name Kevin Bacon was mentioned. Now I'm talking about Steve, like they should know what's going on, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because our minds are really busy places, and sometimes things happen in our minds that we can't really grasp, and sometimes that we can't really express. Our minds are busy, and they're congested, and especially when we're worrying about something, it can get really messy up in there. And so all of a sudden, you can have these traffic jams in your minds where worrying just shuts everything down, and all you can think about and all you can focus on is what you're anxious over. And so again, our quest for peace must be an active quest for peace. In verse 8, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I can remember growing up in youth group and here and youth pastors say that this is a, they would always use this passage to reference some kind of moral lesson. And so it's all about thinking about pure things. And I'm sure we can use that for that purpose. But that's not really what Paul is talking about here. Paul is writing a passage to people in danger, and hardship, about peace. And so part of gaining peace here is to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. All of these things are things that should consume our minds, and somehow that will result in peace. And what we find is thinking about these things that Paul tells us to think about starts to take up valuable real estate in our minds because there's only so much stuff that we can process. There's only so much stuff that we can think about. And so if we're thinking about these good things that come in Christ, it can start to push that worry and start to push that anxiety away. And so we're called to think about things that are true, which is especially helpful when it comes to worrying, because so often a vast majority of the things that we worry about and the things that we're anxious about don't come to fruition anyway. And so they're not things that are based in truth. And so we think about what's true. We think about things that are honorable. We think about things that are just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. And the more that we think about those things, the more that we fill our minds with those things, the more they drive out the things that cause us to worry. But remember, it's not just about a mentality. Worrying is a physical thing, too. It manifests itself through our body. And so Paul says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So don't only think about good things. Don't only think about things that honor God and glorify God, but put those things into practice. Paul says to this church, while you're in the midst of persecution, while you're in the midst of suffering, while you're in the midst of difficulty, don't just think about good things. It's not about thinking happy thoughts, but go out there and do what you've been called to do. Go out there and serve as Christ has called you to serve. All the things that you've learned, all the things that you've received, all the things that you've heard, all the things that you've seen, put on display and put in an example. Go out and to do those things and set your body to work as well. And what this does is it sets us on a course of living and thinking in such a way that it draws us near to God, and we don't only receive the peace of God, but we're able to realize that the God of peace is with us. It helps us to think clearly, it helps us to see clearly, and these actions draw us close to God where we realize that the God of peace himself is with us. And so we should fill our minds with peace-giving truth. We should put our hands to work, giving peace, giving work. And then we find that through that, the author of peace himself will be with us. In the Beatitudes, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. That it's our role to be agents of peace in a world of violence and in a world of brokenness. It's what we talked about last week as we lit that second Advent candle. But to be able to do that, we have to first and foremost know what peace is and experience peace in our own lives. And that peace is born out of the gospel. Because peace is not something natural. We've seen from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 4, violence has been a part of human history. And so we are prone to violence. We're prone to anxiety. We're prone to worry. These are not natural things to just put away and find peace. And so God had to bring peace into the world and he did that. Through Jesus. That's why the message of Christmas, as we're going into that season in just a couple weeks, the message of Christmas is about peace. Because Jesus came in to be our peace. Some of these passages we're going to be reading over the next few weeks talk about how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But to be able to accomplish that peace in the world, Jesus had to do it through violence. But Jesus didn't come in wielding a sword to bring violence of his own, but he endured violence on our behalf. Jesus went to the cross and suffered the most brutal and violent death that we could possibly imagine so that we could have peace. Jesus was cast into a dark and a cold grave in that captivity so that we could experience the freedom of God that leads us to the peace of God, which leads us to the God of peace. And so first and foremost, we have to trust in the truth of the gospel, whether that's for the first time, if you've never accepted Christ as Savior, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never experienced His grace and mercy. And the Bible says that if we trust in Christ, if we believe in Him and repent of our sins, that we're new creations, the old has passed, the new has come, that we're set free, and that through that we can find peace. But this isn't just a message for first-time Christians. It's not just a message of conversion, but it's something that we should remember day after day that Jesus suffered violence so that we could find peace and we should take hold of that peace. And so our calling as Christians is to love the Christ who offered Himself for us through violence to bring us peace and to find our joy in the God who loves us even in spite of our weaknesses and to rest in His nearness to think about and to practice the works of peace with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, and making our requests be known to God. And then we have the promise that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, and that the God of peace will be with us.